0: If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, then you know that uh, we're looking at a series on living by principles. And uh, since we have taken a break a few weeks, just to remind you, what is a principle, Pastor? It's not as much a doctrine as it is a procedure or a a policy that we follow. And so the very first week we looked at uh, what a principle, where we get them, we get them from the Scriptures, We looked at there's really two levels of principles. Sometimes the scriptures give us some very clear guidelines. Others are very general. And, of course, if you only follow those principles because someone else is forcing that on you, it's really a standard. But if you embrace them, it becomes a conviction. So we looked at the principle of separation. We looked at the principle of always putting God first. We looked at the principle of consecration. We've looked at the principle of Christian fellowship, the principle of heavenly affections. We've looked at the principle of authority and temptation. And the last time we looked at the principle of finishing. Do You know, if God had you start something, God would have you finish it. And we began to look at all the verses where that word finish shows up and the challenge that we're given to finish. Preacher, what are we looking at today? We'll look there at Hebrews 12. And if you'd follow along as I read verse 1 and verse 2, because our principle tonight comes from this text. Again, if you'd follow as I read Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, again, we're thankful for each one that's here. Thankful, Lord, that uh, we are able to gather together in the middle of the week. Lord, we do pray that you challenge our hearts again from your word. Teach us Yet another principle that could help us. Now, Lord, I think that many have their doctrines straight, but even having your doctrines straight doesn't necessarily mean that your life will be fruitful, and, because sometimes it's operating by principles that helps us make those doctrines practical. Help us tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we began there in Hebrews chapter 12. And it's really describing the Christian life as a running race. Look there near the end of verse number 1. It says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And the writer here, and many assume it's Paul, could very well have been Paul. If Paul wrote it, it's the only letter that he wrote that he didn't identify himself as the author but you know, Paul says here that if we're going to be successful in this Christian race that we're running, there's a number of things that we're going to need to do. Look at the middle of verse number one. He says, First of all, let us lay aside every weight. Now, I've never been a runner. Maybe some of you have been runners. I know that we, when we read Brother Barkowski's newsletter, Brother Car- Barkowski was a runner, he was a trained runner. And he ran in many events, and that was his first introduction into the country of Israel. And that's really how he was going to get his visa to enter into Israel. And it was by running in whatever the Lord did not have that. But you can imagine that if you're a runner, you wouldn't run with heavy boots. And you wouldn't run with a winter jacket. And you wouldn't run with a floppy hat. Why? All those are unnecessary weight. And so you shed those things that are weights. And that's why the writer here says in our Christian race that we need to lay aside every weight. And now weights aren't necessarily sinful things. Weights are just things that slow us down. There's a second recommendation. Not only does he say lay aside every weight, but then he talks about the sin which does so easily beset us. Now that's something different than a weight. And I think you could understand if you were a runner and were serious about it, then there would be some things that you would not indulge in because they could affect your health, they could affect your well-being. I think if you are a great runner, you probably wouldn't be eating much pizza. Now, I'm not a runner, that's why I eat pizza. But if you were a runner and serious about it, you wouldn't eat pizza. You probably wouldn't drink very much pop. probably wouldn't do much late-night partying certainly wouldn't participate in liquor and drugs and certainly wouldn't eat junk food. And so his recommendation, if you want to do well in this race, first of all, lay aside the weights. And then he said, you're going to have to shed the sin that does so easily beset us. And then the third thing that he talks about is running with patience. says that there at the very end of verse 3. But then also he acknowledges the fact at the very beginning of verse 1 wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses now most every runner when they are running a race there are people that are watching and the more important the race the more and more more uh, people that are watching he acknowledges that there are others that are watching i think that verse is a reference to the previous chapter And if you know, Hebrews 11 is called the chapter of faith. And it talks about some great people, great men, great women of faith. It talks about verse 4, Abel, and verse 5 is Enoch, and verse 7 is Noah, and verse 8 is Abram, and then in verse number 11 is Sarah. And keep going there, we find in verse number 17 again is Abram, and verse 20 is Isaac. And so the whole chapter 11 is a listing of some people that have run before us And they, for the most part, have done well in their race. Now he opens up chapter 12, and he says, Wherefore, seeing we also. So it's kind of like as we're running this Christian race, there are others that are watching us, just as much as there were others that are watching all those in the Old Testament. I'm trying to word this very carefully. As much as he acknowledges that there are people that are watching He says, if you're going to do well in your Christian race, you're not watching those others. You're not keeping your eyes on all those that are watching you. What are you watching? Well, look at verse 2, Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You know, this context is talking about concentration." If you're taking notes tonight, uh, we're looking at the principle of concentration. And so again, if you're a good runner, you're going to lay aside the weights. If you're a good runner, you're going to set aside the sin that so often trips you up. If you're going to be a good runner, you're going to have to be patient. It's not not a full race, the first 20 feet. You'll never make it that mile. If you're going to be a runner, you will acknowledge that there are people that are watching but you're not watching them. You are concentrating on the end goal, and that end goal is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word concentrate means to focus, and that word concentrate means to zero in on and give your full attention to. And isn't it true that uh, in many a Christian's life, they have gotten sidetracked in the race that God has given them because they've got their attention off of Jesus Christ and they've got their attention onto something else. And so again, we're going to look this evening on the principle of concentration. I think that some of us have heard about a sport and it's called, I don't know the right name, speed walking. Uh, Does anyone know the official name for that? Is it speed walking? It is, okay. Now, if you've never seen it, it's pretty funny to see because it's people that are walking just as fast. Now, you can't run. You have to walk. And I think the temptation would be, you know, when someone's watching to pick up the pace, but I've watched just a few of them, and it's humored as they've got themselves in a rhythm, and they don't want to ever break that rhythm. And what would break that rhythm is if they tried to change from a fast walk to a run, or if they got their eyes off the goal and onto someone else and so it's real funny and I and my son knows more about it than I do maybe he has more interest in it than I do but uh, I asked him and I said well what if someone bumps into you he said you know what you just keep your rhythm going you just don't stop because if anything knocks you out of rhythm you're toast because you can never get back. I mean, your, your body could be completely racked with pain to the point where your brain is saying, stop, you fool, <laughs> stop. But he said, just by keeping that rhythm, you can make it to the end of that 12-mile uh, walk. And, you know, just like that in this Christian race, you can't get sidetracked by other people. You just have to keep focused. And that's what he's saying. He's saying that uh, it's important that you have the right concentration. And you know, if they lose that focus on what they themselves are supposed to do, then their race is as good as over. I was reading a little bit of history about some races. And back in 1954, so that's a few years ago, almost 70 years ago. There was a race that took place in Vancouver called the Vancouver Empire Games. And apparently in that year, it was the most anticipated of running races. This wasn't a walking fast race. And there were two contestants that the world had their eyes on. One of those contestants was from England. His name was Roger Bannister. And he had just recently, in a previous race, he had run a one mile in under four minutes no one no one had apparently done that before that man roger banister was from england there was another man from australia john landy and shortly after banister beat the mile in less than a minute landy same thing so both of these men were runners in this race at the vancouver empire games And after they each won their own preliminary heat so that they could qualify for that final race, they all gathered on that starting line and all eyes were on Roger Bannister from England and they were on John Landy from Australia. And Landy's strategy was to start with a fast pace because Bannister from England had the reputation that right near the end of the race, that man, uh, uh, Bannister, could break out in a furious run, and so what Landy decided was, if I push hard the beginning of the race, and if I push so hard that I make Bannister push himself harder than he normally would, he'll be too tired at the end of the race to do that breakout speed and so, sure enough, as the starting gun was fired, as uh, Landy, sure enough, when Australia was still ahead, as they neared the finish line, Landy was in front, and he had lost sight of where Bannister from England was. He, he just kind of lost him. As he was nearing that finish line, he, he looked over his left shoulder in hopes of Bannister's way back, And as he turned back to look where Bannister was, Bannister passes him on the right side. Both of them beat the four-minute mile, but Bannister beat him by .8 of a second. And his coach said to him, I told you, don't ever look behind. Don't ever look beside you. Keep your eyes concentrated on the goal. I think that some of us probably have friends that were doing so well until they took their eyes off of Jesus Christ and they began to look at someone else or they began to look behind. Paul said this to the Galatians people that he had led to the Lord himself, Galatians 5, 7, ye did run well. Who did hinder you? In other words, the Galatian Christians, Paul knew that they started, and they started so well. But he said, ye did run well. That means there was a who in their life that hindered that good run. And from a good run, it changed to a fair run, and a poor run, and maybe no run at all. If you're a Christian tonight, and most of us here are, we don't know who else is listening to this, But if you're a Christian knight, the devil will make sure that there's somebody that's close to you in the race. And if you're not careful, he will get you to take your eyes off the Lord and get your eyes on them. So again, I've tried to make it clear from verse 1, the writer acknowledges that there are other people in the race and that there are other people that are watching your race but you don't want to look at those other people. So again, let's see what we can learn tonight in the principle of concentration. You can let go of Hebrews. Look there in Philippians chapter 3. Again, Philippians chapter 3. Again, we do know that Paul wrote the book of Philippians. And look there in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. I think that many have probably memorized it, certainly be familiar to many. Philippians 3, 14, Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And it's not hard to apply that verse to a running race. He's pressing for a mark. He's pressing for a prize. But you know, Paul chose to use that word press, and it it, it indicates he's with some urgency and with some concentration. But you know, he recognizes that he wouldn't be successful in the press unless he also did what he wrote in the verse before. So look there in Philippians 3.13. Before, verse 14, pressing toward Mark, verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, that means arrived, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. We're talking about concentration tonight, and could I have you write this down? We dare not concentrate. On the events of the past, he said, forgetting those things which are behind. If you're going to run well, if I'm going to run well, there is some past that we're just going to have to forget. Now, in this particular chapter, Paul gives us an idea of what it was that he had to forget. Look back there in verse number 5. Paul is really giving us a list of things he could brag on. He's describing himself, uh, Philippians 3, verse 5. He says, Circumcised the eighth day. Secondly, of the stock of Israel. Third, of the tribe of Benjamin. Fourth, in Hebrew of Hebrews. Fifth thing is touching the law of Pharisee. Sixth thing concerning zeal, he was persecuting the church. And the seventh thing, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless." after giving that whole list of things that he could have bragged on, look what he says in verse number 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. So if you've already written the first thing, we dare not concentrate on the events of the past, could I have you write down the fact that he had to forget his past achievements now, folks, we as a church, we could look back on some events in the history of this church that God has done some miraculous things. And we thank God for it. And we wouldn't trade them away for anything. But you know, if you're going to run a successful race, you even have to put behind you the past achievements um, for you sports people, you know that this coming Sunday is the Super Bowl. When we were in Phoenix, uh, the big stadium for the Super Bowl is in Phoenix. It's, it's overwhelming. We didn't go to it. We drove by it. It's huge. And there are two teams that you probably know are playing. And do uh, you know that neither of those teams, though they've obviously had some victories that have brought them to this coming Sunday's game do you know when they march out, run out onto that field, they're not going to spend any time thinking about the victories of the past. Is that fair? They've got to fight now. They've got a game now. And may I say to you that there are some Christians who are only living in the past. All they're talking about is what they once did, what they once were a part of, what God once blessed, May I say to you in this business of we dare not concentrate on the events of the past, we're going to have to put behind us the past achievements. Now, Paul says, I could have bragged on this list of verse 5 and verse 6. If you paid close attention, I itemized them as seven things that Paul could save himself. But I want you to look real close, because we're going to look at that list again. I want you to look which of these seven He really couldn't take credit for. Look at it. Circumcised the eighth day. He didn't do that. Is that fair? He couldn't brag on that. Look at the second one. Of the stock of Israel, it it wasn't up to him to be born a Jew. So he couldn't really brag on that. Third one of the tribe of Benjamin, it wasn't his choice in which tribe he was born into. Look at the fourth one, a Hebrew of Hebrews. None of those first four could he brag on. He might have had something to do to vote in the next one as touching the law of Pharisee. He did do that. Sixth, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He did that. Seventh, touching the righteousness, which is in law blameless. I'll agree to you or with you that the last three he might have had some claim on, but not the first four. And folks, we need to be careful. Some of the things, if we're not careful, that we would like to brag on, we can't even take credit for You can't take credit for your height or your beauty. You, you, You can't, or lack, you can't take credit for that. So I'm saying the first thing. If we're going to concentrate, we dare not concentrate on the events of the past, And I'm talking about past achievements. There's something else in the past we dare not concentrate on. Look there, if you would, in 1 Corinthians 15. That's just a few books earlier. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Preacher, I'd sure like to finish, finish the race that God has given me. Okay, well, let's see what else in the past that we can't concentrate on. We can't park on that. We can't constantly think about that. We can't always talk about that. Not only our past achievements, but secondly, there in 1 Corinthians fifteen nine, Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. We know that before Paul got saved, he was called Saul, and from Acts 8 and Acts 9, that man Saul was bent on finding Christians, arresting Christians, persecuting Christians, locking up Christians. And here Paul said, I, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. God called him an apostle. But he said, I'm not worthy. But look at verse 10. As much as that black mark was in his past, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Not only do we have to let go of our past achievements... We're going to have to let go of our past embarrassments. Probably all of us have something. And whether you were born into a Christian home or whether you were saved a little later in life, I'm sure that there are some things somewhere that you'd rather never get out, keep it in the box, lock it up, bury it. Paul, because God used him in such a great way, recorded some of the things that he did, and you know what he said? Although I'm not deserving of being called an apostle, he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, the second thing we have to put in the past is past embarrassments. The preacher, I failed. That's true, but you have to put it behind you. Pastor, I never should have. Okay, but you have to put it behind you. And although some of the brethren might never let you forget it, you're going to have to forget it. And when they throw that in your face for yet another time, you're just going to have to ask for the grace of God. But If you're going to win this race, we're talking about we can't concentrate on the events of the past, not past achievements, not past embarrassments. I think of another one uh, still in the same, and I'm trying to go quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 4 not only past achievements and past embarrassments, but look there in 2 Timothy 4. You and I know that when Barnabas and Saul went on their first missionary journey, I need you think here, they had a third person as their partner. Who was the third person? John Mark. John Mark was just a young man that joined him on that third trip, Acts 13, 4 and 5. Well, they hadn't traveled very long before John Mark quit. And could I suggest to you that to Paul, that was a great disappointment. I mean, the burden was already in the ministry, was already difficult enough for three, for one to quit, that left two. Paul struggled with the fact that John Mark quit. In fact, at the end of the first missionary journey, when Barnabas said, let's take John Mark with us the second time, Paul said nothing to him, and that divided that missionary team into two teams. But the very last letter that uh, Paul wrote here in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, look at it if you would, Paul writing, only Luke is with me, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable for me, to me, for the ministry. Do you know, not only do we have to let go of past achievements and past embarrassments we also have to let go of past disappointments If someone's you've got to let it go you have to let it go because if you don't let it go you'll you'll be beached on the side I, I'm told that driver instructors it's been a long time since I had a driver instructor driver instructors try to teach their new trainees that you have to look both ways, but you can't concentrate for any period of time because as you concentrate, you tend to go that way. And as you concentrate, you tend to go. Listen, listen folks. If somebody has disappointed you, you've got to let it go. Past disappointments. i give you a second thing. Look there, if you would, in John chapter 21. Again, we're trying to learn about the principle of concentration. And the first thing we've learned is we can't concentrate on the events of the past, John 21. And that would be past achievements, got to let them go. You can rejoice, but don't stay there. <laughs> we have to con- can't concentrate on past embarrassments or past disappointments. I give you a second thing, John chapter 21 and look at verse 21. Peter seeing him, talking about John the Apostle, Peter seeing him saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? That's what's happening. Well, John 21 is a record of Jesus. Our Lord is already uh, risen from the dead. We know that Jesus walked this earth for the next 40 days. And here is the third occasion where Jesus, during that 40 days, meets with his disciples. Very beginning of chapter 21, Simon Peter, he says to uh, some of the disciples, I'm going fishing. And he convinced uh, six others, so seven went fishing, and they fished all night and they caught nothing. It says that in verse 3. And you know, the next morning, they didn't know what Jesus was on the shore. And Jesus says, children, have you any meat? And they said, nothing. And he said, cast your net on the other side. And that made no sense to them, but they did it. And they got such a draw of fishes. There was 153 fishes in that net. And they hauled it to shore only to realize it's Jesus. And he has breakfast made by a fire. And after they ate that breakfast, Jesus turns to Peter We don't have time, but Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, sure, Lord. Jesus asks the second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. He asks the third time, Peter, do you love me? And each time, Peter, I guess, is getting more and more red and and embarrassed at the attention and the focus of everybody on him. And uh, he said, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus' answer each time was then, you need to get busy Ministering, feed my sheep. And you know, right after all that, I, you know, some have uh, suggested that Jesus asked it three times because Peter denied the Lord three times. That might be true. After all that, Jesus told Peter how he would die. There in verse 18, Jesus says to Peter, Verily, verily, I say unto you, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, Thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. What did he mean by that? Verse 19. This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. So Jesus kind of gave Peter a heads up that he was going to die later in life. And in that death, he would stretch his hands out. And his secular history tells us that Peter was crucified And after all of that attention on Peter, now we pick up the verse there in verse number uh, 21. Uh, Start in verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, following which also leaned on his breast at supper, and saith, Lord, which is he that betrayed thee? Verse 21, Peter, seeing him, seeing John, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Now, follow me so far. In this principle of concentration, you can't concentrate on the events of the past. You have to let it go. Be they good things, be they bad things, be they embarrassing things, be they disappoint. You have to let it go. But here in the second thing, Peter, in his race, he starts concentrating on John. And he said, Lord, what's, what's going to happen with him? What's your plan with him? Look at Jesus' answer to that in verse 22. Jesus saith unto him, If I will, that he, John, tarry till I come, what is that to thee, Peter? Follow thou me. Do you know the second thing, if you're taking notes, we dare not concentrate on everything else of the present. You want to run a race? You can't keep your eyes on the person next to you. They might be running a great race. They might have quit their race. But if you concentrate on someone else, you won't do well in the race that God has given you. Now Jesus is saying, Peter, don't you worry about what others do or don't do. You need to just focus on me. And other people's lives may impact our race. But our concern is not what they're doing. Our concern is what God has told us to do. Now back to this running. If you're a coach of a runner, you have a right to tell that runner what to do. Is that fair? If you are a sponsor for a runner, in other words, you're paying all the expenses, you have a right to tell that runner what you think they should do. But if you're just another runner in the race, could I say it nicely? It's really none of your business. And far too many times, good time is spent telling some other Christian in another lane what they're supposed to do. And so we know that's true. We know that when the disciples were in a boat And we know that Jesus came walking on the water in the night. And the apostles got all fearful. It's a ghost. But Peter realized it was Jesus. And you know, the closer that Jesus came, Peter said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. He said, Lord, if if it's okay, let me come to you on the water. Now, that's kind of a little out there. And imagine... And Jesus said, come on. And imagine as Peter lifted his first leg over the side of that ship. You can imagine what those other disciples were doing. He probably grabbed a hold of them and said, Peter, what are you doing? You can't do that. Peter knew God had told him to do it. And so Peter had to set aside the voices that were trying to tell him not to do What God told them to do. Again, we're talking about concentrating. You dare not concentrate on the events of the past. And you dare not concentrate on everything else in the present. I give you the last thing. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. I give you one last thing. And if you've caught the pattern, it's going to have to be something now in the future. Numbers 13. Preacher, I'd like to run my race to run it. You're going to have to concentrate. Can't be focused on the past. Can't even be focused on others in the present. But look there in Numbers 13, verse 27. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 27 we read, And they told him, and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Preacher, what's going on? You know that Israel was on the southern perimeter of of the promised land. It had already been a year that passed since they got out of Egypt and they went by Mount Sinai and got the commandments and the tabernacle plans and now they've come to that southern border of Canaan, the promised land. The people said to Moses, we'd like to send in some spies first. We find that in Deuteronomy 1. So Moses says to God, they want to send spies. God says, okay, let them go. I just soon they take it. But send the spies in. We you know the 12 spies went in for 40 days. Verse 27 is their report when they came back. We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, 10 of them said this The people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. We know the story. Ten of them said we can't go. Walls are too high. Giants are too big. We just can't. We know that uh, as much as they tried to discourage the people, two of those twelve, Joshua and Caleb, a completely different report. There, if you would, in chapter number 14 and verse number 6. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it, it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey Only rebel not uh, ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us, their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us, fear them not. Do you know the third thing, if you'd write it down? We dare not concentrate on the Everests, that's a mountain. The Everests of the future. Those ten spies, they were convinced that before them was an obstacle that was too big to overcome. The biggest mountain that there is is Mount Everest, and sometimes Christians that have run well all of a sudden get to focusing on what God has allowed before them. And just like the ten spies, they say we can. And folks, every year, as it's true in these last few years, every year we have faced things that we've never faced before, and how easy it would be to say, "That's it, we're done." But as these two, they said, and the key is verse eight, uh, numbers 14:8, "If the Lord delight in us." And folks, that's the focus. No matter what anyone else is doing, no matter what the failures or the uh, achievements, no matter what anyone else is saying, again, you can't. And regardless of what ahead of us, if the Lord delight in us, that's concentration. Maybe this week, this month, this year, you will have more voices that will say you can't. You've got to concentrate on the one that says, with me, you can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this principle. And Lord, many of us know of those that, as Paul said in Galatians 5-7, they did run well. But someone hindered them. And Lord, uh, they made the mistake of letting somebody else steal their concentration. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be focused and to be able to say, just as Paul testified, for to me, to live is Christ. May that be true. Lord, if someone here has slowed down in their Christian pace, and somewhere they've allowed their eyes to focus on something other than Christ, either in the past, somebody in the present, or what looks like insurmountable in the future, help us to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher. He'll help us finish of our faith. We ask it in Jesus' name.